Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus Christ, our King and Savior and Lord, and Lord, we want to properly represent him today, above all. If we do that, Lord, I'm happy. If Jesus is clearly presented, and I know that if he is, Lord, he's going to build up his saints. Lord, he's going to conform us into his own image, and so, Lord Jesus, would you be working amongst your church today? Build up the saints, Lord. If there's anybody here that does not know Christ and is lost, we pray for their conversion, that they would come to know him as their all in all and surrender their life to him today. And we pray, Lord, that you'd open up this text, Luke 12, verses 1 to 12, that it would be opened up to our understanding, but, Lord, that you'd go further than just the understanding, that it would affect both our emotions and our will, and you would teach us how we can apply the things you taught your disciples so many years ago. So these are the favors we ask. Come now, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, let's read Luke 12, verses 1 to 12 to start off today. Under these circumstances, after so many thousands of people had gathered together so that they were stepping on one another, he began saying to his disciples, first of all, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. But there is nothing covered up that will not be revealed, and there's nothing hidden that will not be known. Accordingly, whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in the inner rooms will be proclaimed upon the housetops. I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that have no more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear the one who after he is killed has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two cents? Yet not one of them is forgotten before God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, you are more valuable than many sparrows. And I say to you, everyone who confesses me before men, the Son of Man will confess him also before the angels of God. But he who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him. When they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not worry about how or what you are to speak in your defense or what you are to say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Now let's get our bearings as we enter chapter 12. This comes right on the heels of Luke chapter 11, verses 37 to 54. And that's the text we looked at last Sunday morning. Do you remember we looked at the damning sins of religious hypocrites last week? And there are five of them. Jesus was invited to a Pharisee's home to have lunch, and so he accepted the invitation. There wasn't just one Pharisee there. There was other Pharisees, and there were scribes as well. So there was a group of these religious leaders of Israel who invited Jesus over to have lunch. Now, do you smell something fishy going on? when you see that situation. I mean, I don't think that these religious leaders wanted Jesus to have lunch with them just so that they could get to know him a little bit better because they really loved him and wanted to worship him. No, they had ulterior motives. They wanted to catch him in something that he would say. Well, anyway, Jesus shows up, and they start going through this hand-washing ceremony before lunch. And Jesus didn't do it. And they were shocked. Because this was something that all of the Pharisees religious, religiously did before their meals. Now, it's not like when you were a kid and your mom says, go wash up before dinner because you need to get rid of the germs so you don't pop them in your mouth when you're eating your food. That had nothing to do with it. It was a, a ritual that they had come up with. It's not in the Bible, but the Pharisees and scribes had added this to whatever laws the Jews were already doing. And they said, in order to be really clean, you have to... Drop this water over your hands like this before you eat. Just a silly ritual that they were imposing upon all the other people. Well, this gave Jesus the occasion to speak to this, these religious leaders about the damning sins that they were committing and were completely unaware of it. They were self-righteous. They were proud. They were unwilling to humble themselves before God and to receive the righteousness that only he can give. 
And so Jesus knew that he needed to confront them or else they would be damned for eternity. Some of these religious leaders did turn, did repent, and were converted. We even read in the book of Acts that many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. Some of the Pharisees, like Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, did repent of their sins. So Jesus is going after them. He's not content just to let them all slide into hell. And so he starts to speak to them about the sins that were keeping them from salvation. And so he speaks to them about the fact that they were inwardly corrupt. Number two, that they loved the praise of man. Number three, that they were imposing these man-made burdens upon others. Number four, that they're trying to destroy the people that would confront them. And number five, that they're actually hindering other people from entering the kingdom of God. Now, what do you think happened as a response in that kind of a message? Look at verse 53. Luke eleven fifty-three. When he left there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to be very hostile and to question him closely on many subjects, plotting against him to catch him in something that he might say. They didn't take it too well. And of course, Jesus knew that most of them wouldn't. But in order to be faithful to God, he had to deliver this difficult message. Well, that leads us right into Luke chapter 12, verse 1. Under these circumstances, remember that little phrase, after so many thousands of people had gathered together that they were stepping on one another, he began saying to his disciples, first of all, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Okay, so what circumstances is he talking about? He's talking about the circumstances of Luke eleven fifty three and 54. The circumstances of the scribes and Pharisees being very hostile to Jesus, plotting on how they can trap him. And this isn't the first time. It, goes, it starts back in Luke chapter 6. This has been going on for some time where they're trying to catch him in something that he would say. So here you've got the religious leaders and they're looking for something in Jesus' life that they can catch. Because they hate him. They hate how he's confronting them. They know that they need to get rid of him one way or another. And ultimately it will lead to his crucifixion. And you know that a fight attracts a crowd, don't you? People start fighting and all these people start showing up and you have this big crowd. Well, here's a fight between the religious leaders and Jesus. And it's starting to attract a crowd. In fact, this isn't a little crowd. This isn't a few hundred people. The Bible says there were so many thousands of people that they were stepping on each other. Now, it's hard to imagine a crowd like that. This is a day and age when you don't have sound systems or microphones, right? So in order to hear and see what's going on, these people were clamoring to get as close to the front of the crowd as they could. So they start stepping on each other, crawling all over, you know, just to get to the front to see What's happening between Jesus and these religious leaders as they're duking it out? It was in that kind of a situation that Jesus begins to speak to his disciples. Notice verse 1 says, there's thousands and thousands and thousands of people. So don't think two or three hundred people. Think of going to a San Francisco Giants game and the stands are almost completely full. That's probably like what it was like without microphones. And so the people are doing the very best they can to get as close to him to hear what's going on and to see what's happening. But it, while this is happening, he starts to talk to his disciples, it says. So the multitude is there, but Jesus is speaking directly to his disciples, those who had begun to follow him. And he wants to warn them. Still on his mind are those damning sins that these religious hypocrites are committing, and he wants to warn them not to go down that path. And so he says to them, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Now, as we go through these 12 verses, there's a couple of themes I want you to pick up on. The first theme is persecution. Jesus is teaching his disciples how they're supposed to face persecution. We know that because... Verse 4, Jesus says, I say to you, my friends, don't be afraid of those who kill the body. And after that, have no more that they can do. So he's warning his disciples and instructing his disciples on how they're to face persecution. When there is a threat of their life being taken from them, this is what you do. We also know this because 
In verse 8, he says, I say to you, everyone who confesses me before men, the Son of Man will confess him also before the angels of God. But he who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. Here's another situation where there's going to be a temptation to deny Jesus Christ or to confess him. And they're going to have to make a choice. And Jesus is forewarning them about the persecution that they're going to have to face here. We also know this because of verse 11. When they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, don't worry about how or what you are to speak in your defense or what you are to say. For the Holy Spirit's going to teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. So here's another example of persecution that's going to come. And this is going to be the religious leaders. That's why he mentions the synagogues. The synagogues was the place that the Jews would go on the Sabbath day in order to hear religious instruction. But it would be the very center of persecution against the disciples of Jesus. So laced throughout this paragraph is this idea of persecutions coming. Persecutions coming. This is how I want you to prepare for it. The second theme is judgment day is approaching. Judgment day is approaching. And we know that because Jesus says in verse 2 and 3, there's nothing hidden that's not going to be made known. There's nothing covered up that's not going to be revealed. Whatever you've said in the inner rooms or whatever you've whispered is going to be disclosed one day. He's talking about judgment day here. Later on, he's going to say, don't be afraid of those who can only kill the body. I'll tell you who to fear. Fear the one who's able to cast into hell. That's talking about judgment day. He goes on to say, don't be worried um, about those who can kill the body. Instead, confess me before men. Because if you deny me before men, you're going to be denied before the angels of God. Again, that points to Judgment Day. So we've got these two twin themes moving throughout this passage, don't we? Persecution, Judgment Day. Persecution, Judgment Day. So Jesus is seeking to instruct his disciples how to face persecution in light of the ultimate day of judgment that is coming. So with that in mind, let's go back. And let's, let's look at this passage in more detail. There's four different commands that Jesus is going to give his disciples. And I'm just going to write them up, write them up here on the whiteboard. The first one, first command is to flee hypocrisy. Now he tells them that in verses 1 to 3. Flee hypocrisy. He says in verse 1, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Now, let's get a little running definition of hypocrisy. In the first century, there were people called hypocrites. They were the actors. These guys would go from village to village, putting on skits and plays as the form of entertainment in that day. But a hypocrites was an actor who had wear, he'd put this mask up in front of his face when he was playing a certain part. And then when he was done playing that part, he put that down and put another mask up in front of his face. So a hypocrite or a hypocrites is one who wears a mask. It's someone who pretends to be something that they're not. They're playing a part. Okay? So a hypocrite is not somebody who says one thing and does another. That's what we usually say. Because we all, at one time or another, say one thing and do another. Nobody's perfectly consistent. But a hypocrite is one who pretends that he's something that he's not. He puts on an act in front of other people. He tries to project this image of what he wants them to believe he is, when all the while he knows he's not that thing. So that's a hypocrite. And Jesus is saying here, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Now, think about that word leaven. We're talking about yeast. You women have ever baked a loaf of bread, right? You have to inject yeast in it to make that dough rise up so that it can become a, a loaf of bread. Well, the function of leaven is to permeate, to in influence, to move through that, that entire lump until it's permeated by that yeast all the way through. And Jesus is saying, watch out for the leavening influence of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Watch out for it, because it can affect you. Don't let this hypocrisy that you see going on in the Pharisees begin to take root in your life and act like leaven so that it begins to permeate and influence all of your life 
It can work subtly. You may not even know it's happening. Watch out for it. You see him warning them about this sin? Now, why should they watch out for it? Look at verse 2. There is nothing covered up that will not be revealed. And there's nothing hidden that will not be made known. In other words, a hypocrite is one who tries to cover things up. They try to hide their bad side from people. And cover up the fact that they're inwardly corrupt and they put on this good face on the outside so they look like these whitewashed sepulchers. You know, it, the tomb is painted white, looks really nice, neat and pretty, but if you just open up that thing, it stinks to high heaven and there's bones rotting flesh in there. And he says, that's what you guys are like. But there's coming a day when God is going to expose everything, every secret, everything that we thought we had covered up so that nobody could see, everything that we hid. You know, all the skeletons in the closet are coming out one day. Judgment day is coming. So that's the reason why you need to beware of hypocrisy. You might be able to fool a few people for a few years, but you can't fool God. And God one day is going to uncover everything before everyone. Then he says in verse 3, Accordingly, what you have said in the dark is going to be heard in the light. And what you've whispered in the inner rooms will be proclaimed upon the housetops. He's just using imagery again to say, you might think you've gotten away with whispering this little tidbit here or saying this thing about so-and-so there and nobody's heard you. You said it in the inner room where you close the door and nobody can hear. Ah, don't be fooled. God heard. And it's all coming to light one day. Not only what you did is going to come to light, but what you said. That's a little scary, isn't it? Because we've all said things that we would never want to be repeated to anybody. But God says, hypocrisy is foolish because you're not fooling God. You might fool a few people for a few years, but God is going to uncover everything one day. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5, listen to what Paul says about the judgment day coming up. 1 Corinthians 4, 5, Therefore do not go on passing judgment before the time, but wait until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the things hidden in the darkness and disclose the motives of men's hearts. And then each man's praise will come to him from God. He's going to bring to light all the things that we tried to hide in the darkness. And he's going to disclose even motives, why we did what we did. Now, we may be doing a lot of good things on the outside, but for horrible reasons. And the Lord's going to bring all that to light one day. And he's going to show who had the right motives and who had the wrong motives. Who is doing all the right reasons to be seen of men and to be praised of man? And who's doing the right things for the right reasons to bring glory and honor to God? So flee hypocrisy because a hypocrite is not getting anything done. It's pointless. It's futile. There's a difference between rumor, reputation, and character. Okay? Rumor is what people say you are. Reputation is what people think you are. Character is who you really are when no one's looking. And what we need to be concerned about is not our reputation, not even what people are saying about us. What we need to be concerned about is our character. Who are we truly when nobody's looking? God's looking, but there's no human being watching. What are you like in those situations? Are you taking liberties with God? Are you sinning because you think nobody can watch you? So we need to flee hypocrisy. We need to flee a double life. Proverbs 15.3 says that the eyes of the Lord are in every place beholding the evil and the good. So we need to flee any kind of a double life where we think we can be one way when we're in this situation and we can be another way in another situation. We need to seek to be consistent and walk purely and wholly before the Lord. So that's the first thing Jesus is really nailing down for his disciples. The second command he gives them is to fear God. That's verses 4 to 7. This is 1 to 3. This is 4 to 7. Let's look at that. Look at verse 4. 
I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do. But I'll warn you whom to fear. Fear the one who, after he is killed, has authority to cast into hell. And notice he says it twice. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Jesus doesn't waste words. If he repeats something, there's a reason for it. When he says things like, truly, truly, I say to you, get ready, this is important. Mark it down and memorize it, because that's something that you need to remember. When he tells you twice in the same context to fear God, it's because we need to learn to fear God. We truly do. We live in a culture, we live in an age when no one fears God anymore. And that's why there's so much hypocrisy. That's why there's so much sin in Christians' lives that we don't repent of, and they're not uh, seeking to kill, crucify. But Jesus is telling us we need to fear God. Now, he says there's only two options. Either you're going to fear man or fear God, right? The reason people fear man is because they don't want them to kill the body. But do you notice Jesus' reasoning here? He says, all they can do is just kill your body. You know, that's the worst thing they can do. And the worst thing that people can do about you is actually the best thing that can happen to you. <laughs> because you are ushered right into the presence of Almighty God for all eternity, basking in His glory forever. I mean, what can be better than that? So the worst thing that people can do to you is the best thing. So don't, don't be afraid of those guys. Don't be afraid of what they can do to you. So you've seen the pictures, haven't you, on TV or, or the Internet where they've got these Coptic Christians with the hoods over their heads and the ISIS guys are about ready to cut their throats and behead them. They need to remember Jesus' words. Don't fear man. It's gonna, all going to be over in just a few minutes, and you're going to be in the presence of Jesus Christ, and you're going to actually have greater rewards for being willing to suffer a martyr's death than others will. You're going to enjoy the glory of God in a great degree. So don't fear man. See... Jesus knows that he ultimately is going to die from crucifixion. And he's already told his disciples that the disciple is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. So you just need to be forewarned and forearmed so that when this happens, you'll have the strength of mind and the faith to be able to face whatever it is, knowing that heaven's waiting you. Now, notice what he does tell them. Verse 5, But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear the one who after he has killed. Interestingly, it says that God killed. A lot of quarters of the Christian church say that God never does anything like that. That's always the devil. But Jesus said, Fear the one who after he has killed. In other words, God is sovereign over all of our lives. When we are born, when we die, God is in charge of that. Fear the one who has authority to cast into hell. There's going to be one day when every single one of us in this room are going to hear one of two things. Either you're going to hear, Come, you blessed of my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Or you're going to hear this, Depart from me, you accursed ones, into the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. Either one. These are the sheep over here. They hear, come ye blessed. Here are the goats over here. They hear, depart from me, accursed ones. But Jesus Christ is going to be the one who is going to make that eternal sentence upon all mankind. He's the judge. And so he's warning them, fear God. Fear God. Fear God. You know, it's insanity to neglect eternity for the comfort of living in this world for a few years. Like if we were to say, yeah, I'll just deny Christ so that they won't behead me. Well, what good does that do you? Maybe you've got another 20 or 30 years left on this life and then you enter hell. It, it, was that a good choice? <laughs> you know, it's crazy. It's insanity for us to live the brief time we have on this life just so that we have a little bit more comfort or a little bit more ease or we don't have so much suffering. Folks, we need to change our vision and get it on eternity. Judgment day is approaching. Ask God to imprint judgment on your eyeball so that that's what you see. That's what you live for. When you wake up in the morning, I'm going to approach God one day. How can I live this day so that I'm preparing myself for eternity?
So we need to fear God. Now Jesus in verses 6 through 7 tells us, he, he buttresses their faith because he knows it's going to take great faith in order to endure suffering and persecution for the cause of Christ. So he buttresses their faith in verses 6 and 7. He says, Are not five sparrows sold for two cents? Yet not one of them is forgotten before God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't fear. You are more valuable than many sparrows. Now, verse 6. Are not five sparrows sold for two cents? If you go over to Matthew 10.29, Jesus says that two sparrows are sold for one cent. Now, let's do the math here, okay? <laughs> In Matthew, two sparrows are sold for one cent. In Luke, five sparrows are sold for two cents. Do you know what's happening? If you give them two cents, they're going to throw you in an extra sparrow for free. That's how worthless these sparrows were. They're almost, they almost had no value at all. You could buy five of them for two pennies. And that's because there's so little meat on them, there's almost nothing to eat once you killed it, wrung its neck, and cooked a little sparrow, maybe one mouthful of food. So what's he saying? Five of these sparrows are sold for two cents. They're, they're, they have almost no value at all. Yet not one of them is forgotten before God. He's going to tell these disciples three things that should buttress their faith. First of all, God is not going to forget you in your suffering. God doesn't forget about little tiny sparrows that have almost no value. He knows about all of those sparrows. And he knows when every one of those sparrows falls to the ground, he knows about it. God will not forget about you. Sometimes it's easy to think, God's just forgotten about me because he's not delivering me from this trial. I'm still suffering. I'm still going through it. Or if you're facing persecution, God isn't taking my persecutors away. What's going wrong here? God's forgotten about me. No, he hasn't. That's why Jesus is telling him, remember, God will not forget about you. It may feel like it, but he hasn't. Secondly, God knows all about your suffering. He says, indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. If God knows how many hairs are on your head, and in my case, it keeps decreasing every year. <laughs> but yeah, it keeps having to recount all the time. <laughs> but if, if God knows every single hair that's on your head, don't doubt that he's oblivious or unaware of the trial or the suffering that you're going through. He's not. He knows all about it. He doesn't forget about you. He knows all about your suffering. And then thirdly, he has a plan in your suffering. Matthew 10.29 says, Not one single sparrow can fall to the ground apart from your father. What does he mean by that? Apart from your father. Well, either he means apart from your father's knowledge, or I think probably he means apart from your father's will. In other words, God has a plan and a purpose for all things that happen, and every time in which they occur, He's orchestrating all things according to His will up in heaven. He's the sovereign one ruling over everything. So, when you go through suffering, when you face persecution, know God hasn't forgotten you. God knows all about it, and He's got a plan for that suffering. And He's going to work good out of it. So, we need to take to heart this, this second command of Jesus, to fear God. We need to take that to heart this morning. Number one, that would mean we're going to flee hypocrisy. If we truly fear God, we know that He's watching all of our life. He sees, He reads this heart like an x-ray machine. You know, He looks right inside of us and reads every motive. He knows why we do what we do. Am I wanting the admiration of other people? The Lord knows that. That's not going to get any reward in heaven. That's what he tells us in Matthew 6, isn't it? The Pharisees, the hypocrites did all their righteous deeds to be noticed by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward right now in full. That's it. So we need to check our motives. Do you see the motive is just as important as your action? You can do a good action with a wrong motive and God doesn't approve of it. So we need to wed a right motive with a right action together. And we'll only do that if we truly fear God. So we need to flee hypocrisy. Remember God sees our hearts. We need to tremble at our sins. In other words, we need to take them seriously. If there's sin that's going on in our life, we need to address it and repent of it. 
and refuse to let that sin just go on and on and on unchecked, but to deal with that sin? Hebrews 10.31 says it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. See, if you fear God, those verses make sense to you. You believe that. You understand. It's a terrifying thing for me to fall into the hands of the living God apart from God's grace. If I don't have His grace through Jesus Christ, it's like tossing me into a live volcano. It's terrifying. The Bible says that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. We don't even start to understand wisdom or knowledge until we begin to fear God. And the very last two verses of the book of Ecclesiastes go like this. It's Ecclesiastes 12, 13, and 14. Here's the preacher. He says, The conclusion, when all has been heard, is fear God and keep His commandments, because this applies to every person, for God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. I don't buy into this idea that Christians are not going to have their evil exposed on Judgment Day. Now, Jesus has taken care of it. He's atoned for it. We won't be punished for it. But I think the Lord's going to expose everything. And we're, we're not going to be afraid because we're safe in His arms. But our lives, uh, the tenor of our lives, is going to count for rewards from the Lord on that day. I mean, he taught us that clearly in Matthew 6. No right motive, no reward. So the Lord's going to expose motives. He's going to expose things that are hidden. He's going to expose things that we've said that we hoped nobody ever heard on this lifetime. It's all going to come to light. He's going to bring judgment, and he's going to bring rewards based on those who have done righteously with right motivation. So we need to flee hypocrisy. Jesus says we need to fear God. Number three... Jesus teaches them they need to confess Christ. That's verses 8 through 9. They need to confess Christ. Verse 8. And I say to you, everyone who confesses me before men, the Son of Man will confess him also before the angels of God. But... What's the word but tell us is coming? A contrast. Here's the good part. If you confess me before men, I'm going to confess you before the angels of God. Wonderful. Praise the Lord. But, now here's the other side of it. He who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. Many people have, have through the centuries, as they have had to face persecution, have been given an ultimatum. Either renounce Jesus Christ or die, or be tortured, one of the two. So they've had to make a decision. Do I confess Christ and go on with this suffering, or do I renounce him? And some, sadly, have renounced him in the, the time of difficulty and trial. Jesus is saying, when you're brought before men, and your life is on the line, and they're persecuting you, remember this, if you confess me, I'll confess you. If you deny me, I'll deny you. So either confessing or denying Jesus has eternal ramifications, according to Christ. This is how J.C. Ryle puts it. He says, what does it mean to deny Christ? This is what it means. Christ will refuse to acknowledge us as his people. He will disown us as cowards, faithless, and deserters. He will not plead for us. He will not be our advocate. He will not deliver us from the wrath to come. He will leave us to reap the consequences of our cowardice and to stand before the bar of God, helpless, defenseless, and unforgiven. I mean, that pretty much sounds like what Jesus says in verse 9. He who denies me will be denied before the angels of God on that great, awesome day. He will say, I never knew you. Depart from me, worker of iniquity. These are heavy words, aren't they? We live in a country where we don't face this kind of martyrdom. Now, if we were living in the Middle East, things would be a lot different. We'd read these words and we'd say, yeah, 
I, I've got to obey that scripture. I need to confess Christ. So confessing Jesus Christ means more than just telling someone during your life at some point that Jesus is your Lord and Savior. Oftentimes Romans 10.9 is put on a gospel tract, you know, that if thou shalt confess the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him to the dead, you'll be saved. And we take that to mean, oh, we just have to tell somebody before we die that Jesus is our Lord and Savior. Well, in the first century it meant much more than that because they're faith was on the line and they were being persecuted for the name of Jesus Christ and he's saying that you need to be willing to confess verbally Jesus Christ before men and you need to believe that God raised him from the dead and if you do that you'll be saved if you won't confess Christ in difficult situations you'll be lost he'll deny you on that day so true saving faith this is my conviction. True saving faith wrought by the Holy Spirit will confess Christ. And on that, that day, if you or I are in a situation where we either have to renounce Christ or confess Him, I believe if you're a born-again believer, God will give you the faith to be able to make that good confession. But you've got to make it. <laughs> we have the responsibility to make it. So our confession starts at our baptism. We confess Christ there. We go on to confess Christ by our witness. So as you sow gospel seed and as you share your story and Jesus' story with other people, you're confessing Christ every time you do that. Friends, don't be ashamed of confessing Jesus. Don't be embarrassed by that. Jesus tells us we must boldly bear his name before other people. So it starts at baptism. It goes on through our witness. And then for some people, it'll end in their death because it'll cost them their life. So, we need to flee hypocrisy, fear God, confess Jesus Christ. And the last one that he tells his disciples, they need to honor the Spirit. And that's 10 to 12. Did you notice anything interesting going on in this outline? We've got the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit that Jesus is talking about. And in verses 10 to 12, he mentions the Holy Spirit twice. The first time is in reference to blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. The second time is the promise of the Holy Spirit helping them when they're being persecuted. Now, let's, let's work our way through this section. Verse 10. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him. Now these words have been so troubling to so many Christians because many, many have thought, I wonder if I've committed that particular sin and it'll never be forgiven me. I wonder if I'm damned and there's no hope for me. There have been many different explanations of what the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is. Probably one of the most common explanations is that it is continually to reject the witness of the Holy Spirit about Jesus Christ. So you reject it every time you hear it, you continue to reject it until finally you die having rejected the testimony of Christ and you end up in eternal torment in hell. And they say, well, that's the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. I don't think that's true. I could be wrong about this. This is not one of those subjects where I think people have it nailed down and it's crystal clear, but I don't think that can be true because... To blaspheme something means that you speak evil of that person or thing so as to injure its reputation. It's to speak evil about something that is sacred or a person who is holy or sacred. So you can't blaspheme the Holy Spirit without talking, without speaking. This sin has to do something with what you say. That's what blaspheme, blasphemy is. It's speaking something out. Now, in both Matthew 12 and Mark chapter 3, Jesus associates the sin with, uh, the, of blasphemy of the Holy Spirit with calling the work that Jesus did by the Holy Spirit the work of Beelzebul. Now, we already, we already uh, studied that in Luke chapter 11. But you remember the occasion? He was casting out a demon, and these religious leaders say, oh, he's just doing that because... He's doing it by Beelzebul, the ruler of the demons. In other words, Jesus is really Satan, 
And the work of Christ in casting out this demon is really the work of, of Satan in this regard. So what they were doing is calling the work of the Holy Spirit the work of Satan. And then Jesus says, you better be very, very careful. Because there is such a thing as an unforgivable sin, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't know if those religious leaders had actually committed the sin or not. If they hadn't, they were dangerously close in toppling over the precipice. And so Jesus is, either he's telling them you've committed it, or he's warning them you're at the very brink. Stop. Don't, do, don't, don't carry on with what you're doing. Because if you carry on, this sin is unforgivable. Uh, in Matthew it says, this sin won't be forgiven either in this age or in the age to come. And in Mark chapter 3, he says, you are guilty of an eternal sin. An eternal sin. So here's my definition of blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. It is to speak of the Holy Spirit in such a belittling way that he withdraws his gracious influences from you forever so that you never will be able to repent and believe the gospel. So let me repeat that. It is to speak of the Holy Spirit in such a belittling way, like the religious leaders did in that one instance, that he withdraws his gracious influences from you so that you are not able to repent and believe the gospel. The only way a person can be saved is by repenting of sin and believing in Christ. Do you know the only way a person can repent and believe in Christ? It's through the work of the Spirit. People don't do that on their own. In fact, the Bible says repentance is a gift of God's grace. It says faith is a gift that comes from God. These are things that the Holy Spirit works in the elect. But if a person speaks so disparagingly of the Holy Spirit, calling him Satan, this is the spirit of Satan doing these miraculous deeds. Oh, my friends, be very, very careful because you may be sinning away his gracious influences so that you are never able to repent and put your faith in Jesus Christ. Now, you say, well, Brian, how do I know if I've committed it? How do I know if I've crossed the line? Are you able to repent? Do you believe in Jesus Christ? If you can repent, and if you can believe in Christ, you haven't committed the sin. That's how you can know. But if your heart has become so hardened, and you become so stiff-necked, that you will not repent, and you will not put your faith in Christ, that may be an indication. There's no hope. You've crossed a line. You've spoken against the Holy Spirit, and He's withdrawn from you. So there's this... this sin that Jesus is speaking about. Notice how he goes on in verses 11 and 12. First of all, he speaks about belittling the Spirit, beware of that sin, and then he refocuses their attention on depending upon the Spirit, because he's the one that can enable you to speak what you need to say when you're brought before these rulers and authorities. Look at 11. When they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, don't worry about how or what you are to speak in your defense or what you are to say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. So here we're back to persecution again. And he says, you don't have to worry. Now this isn't an encouragement for lazy evangelists and lazy pastors not to prepare their sermons. You know, they stand up, well... I'm just going to depend on the Holy Spirit to give me what I'm supposed to say. Doesn't it say in Luke 11, verse 12? That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about being brought before your persecutors. Don't worry. Don't make up this speech ahead of time because the Holy Spirit's going to just put it in your mouth and you're going to say what he wants you to say in that situation. And so here, we're told that we need to honor the Holy Spirit. We need to honor him, first of all, by never speaking evil of him or belittling the Spirit of God and secondly by depending upon him trusting in him to give you the words you need to say in the moment you need to say them so is the Holy Spirit God what's your answer yes okay if the Holy Spirit is God then he's worthy of our worship our adoration our love our devotion our dependence Faith. So I, I just want to encourage you. He's sort of the, for, the forgotten member of the Trinity. 
And he is that way by design because he doesn't like to draw a lot of attention to himself. He likes it when we shower all of our attention on Jesus. So if you want to really honor the Holy Spirit, you know what you need to do? Start exalting Jesus. Pour your love out on Jesus. Put all your faith in Jesus. Follow Jesus and obey Jesus. And when you do that, you're honoring the Holy Spirit because that's, that's what he loves to have his people do. Just fall in love with Jesus Christ. Now let's draw this down to a conclusion this morning. We realize that we're not in the same situation, the cultural situation, that these first disciples were. It's unlikely that anybody here is going to face death, at least in this particular year. There may be a, a coming few years down the road where, I mean, this could conceivably happen. I've heard lots of different preachers and evangelists warn that it's probably down the road. It's a matter of time. I mean, we've seen a downhill slide in morality, particular in the last two generations, where it's just so fast and furious, this slide downhill into sin, where we're calling evil good and good evil. And now to stand up for what is right means that you're arrogant and... Um, what's the word people use? Yeah, intolerant. That's the word. You're just intolerant, and now laws are being uh, given that if you speak evil of this sin or that sin or call it sin, you're just being an intolerant bigot. And so eventually we will be persecuted, and it'll be more than just name-calling. We might face jail time for it. Eventually, if we continue this downhill slide and God doesn't recover America, we, we may be facing martyr's death here as well. For right now, no. But, 2 Timothy 3.12 says, Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. One form or another. Jesus said, Beware when all men speak well of you. If there's nobody that ever speaks evil of you, something's wrong. Because you're not like your master. If we were more like Jesus, we'd probably have more enemies. He had all kinds of enemies, didn't he? Now, the common person, the tax collectors and prostitutes, loved him. But the religious leaders hated his guts. And they are the ones that ended up killing him. We will have people that will persecute us in one way or another. It might be a neighbor that shuns us because we want to share them the good news. It could be being fired from a job because you refuse to lie or steal or cheat in order to advance the company's interests. It might be being called a name. I've been called a Jesus freak before. <laughs> uh, being the butt of people's jokes, being kind of ostracized when you're around other people. You know what? We just need to be willing to take it. We need to identify ourselves with Jesus and just be willing to take the consequences of whatever that means. All who desire to live godly. There's the key. If we're not really seeking all out for godliness, we're probably not going to face any persecution. But once you start looking a lot like Jesus, it's going to come in one way or another. So, with that in mind, let's just think about what we have here. Flee hypocrisy. Judgment day is coming. Persecution will come in one form or another. We need to flee hypocrisy. Tim Keller has put like this. We are more sinful and flawed than we ever dared believe, yet more loved and accepted in Jesus than we ever dared hope. If that's true, if we're more sinful and flawed than we even know about ourselves, but we're more loved and accepted than we ever dared to hope, why do we go trying to project this image of ourselves that's unreal? <laughs> you know? Why do we do that? We're totally accepted in Jesus Christ. He knows the truth about us through and through. So we need to flee this double-sided, projecting some kind of a, an image that's not true about us and just be ourselves. Just be ourselves. Secondly, fear God. Apart from the grace of God, we're going to face His wrath. And Jesus says, you need to realize it about God. He's able not only to kill, He's able to cast both body and soul into hell. So fear Him. Fear what He can do. Not that He's going to. If you're trusting in His Son, that's not going to happen. 
but fear that you might have a defective faith, a spurious false faith, a counterfeit faith? Is it real or genuine? Is it producing fruit? The fruit of the Holy Spirit will follow if your faith is true. So look at your life. Is the Holy Spirit producing fruit to verify that the faith that He's birthed within your soul is real and God-honoring and saving? So think about those things. Fear God. Cultivate a sense of His presence 24-7. You know, it's easy for us just to kind of forget about God when we want to do something contrary to His will, isn't it? And so we just go on and do what we want. Cultivate a sense of the presence of God and the fear of God in your life so that that enables you to walk holy before Him. And thirdly, confess Christ. So I just want to encourage all of you and challenge you to become bold witnesses. It's hard to do, isn't it? Because none of us likes rejection. I got rejected yesterday going up to a door and I felt, man, I just want to quit. If I had another buddy with me, I probably would have been able to go to a lot more houses. But I was by myself. And I still struggled along doing the best I could. But it hurts. It's hard to keep on facing people when you get rejection after rejection. But we can't throw out the Great Commission and pretend it's not in the Bible. Can we? We are to confess Christ boldly. And then fourthly, we need to honor the Holy Spirit. Honor Him. Depend on Him. Love Him. Adore Him. Cultivate uh, a sense of worship and adoration for the Holy Spirit. And, and, and thank Him for those things that He's doing in your life and the graces that He's bringing forth out of your life. And if you have victory over sin, give Him credit. <laughs> it wasn't you, my friend. It was the Spirit of God working in you and through you to bring you to that place. Flee hypocrisy, fear God, confess Christ, and honor the Spirit. Lord, we pray that You'd work these things in us. We know they're not easy. You never said it was going to be easy to obey You, Lord. But Lord, we're looking to You to give us the power to do these things. Please, Lord. We pray that we would be those that would honor Jesus Christ all out. Convict us, Lord, of our sin today. Help us to repent and turn in faith to our Master. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.